Welcome to Gross Anatomy. We're live, Lauren? We are live with Gross Anatomy Podcast, where we explore the sights, smells, and sounds of medicine and how it pertains to pop culture, meaning books, movies, TV. And sometimes we talk about other podcasts. It's a real mixed bag. Today, we don't have a special guest, but we do have a very special host, Dr. Jason Cohen. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Lauren. That's very kind of you. Thank you. And we have our other very special co-host. I am Lauren Taylor, not a doctor. But practically, you are one after, <laughs> after doing this for two I plus I am years. learning so much. And I'm forgetting so much. So that makes us even, I think. How's yeah. your week going? Anything uh, you want to report to the, to the listeners? Yeah, I'll report something. I will report. Da, 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 da. No, my, um, it's been a little frustrating for me, actually. I'm very busy in the office seeing patients. But at the hospital, unfortunately, at least at one of the hospitals, due to the big COVID surge that's now actually coming down, at least at the hospitals here, uh, a lot of surgeries, elective, although nothing's truly elective, but the non-urgent, non-emergent, non-life-threatening surgeries have been kind of put on hold or delayed. And a lot of my surgeries while they're important and not not emergent, but they're all, you know, they're, they're not necessarily elective, but they're, they can wait. So unfortunately, a lot of these surgeries of mine are being put on hold by the powers that be. So it's been a little frustrating. So operating wise, I'm a little slow right now, uh, but I'm seeing a lot of patients and I'm sure emergencies are going to pop back up again but it's a weird feeling not necessarily having any surgeries scheduled or having them get canceled by the powers that be. So it's a bizarre thing for me. Well, what do your patients say? I mean, I guess they don't have a choice, but are they, I would be scared putting off some surgeries, even if they say that it's okay. You know, I just like, if something was in me that wasn't supposed to be able to like, get it out now. Yeah. Well, it's a mix because there are plenty of patients who say, you know, if I don't have to be in a hospital around people, I'm willing to put it off or, and, and even some of the cancers I deal with, luckily thyroid cancer, most of the time is one of those cancers that isn't an emergency that, that you could take your time and kind of get it set and make sure it's the right time to deal with. And it's such a benign acting cancer that there are studies that have been going on in Asia for years and we're adopting it a little bit more now where we're actually opting to observe certain thyroid cancers and do what's called active surveillance. So, you know, the, a, a lot of the diseases I deal with, a lot of times can be kind of kept an eye on, at least for a few weeks, you know, if not for even longer. Okay. So you don't know when they're going to go back to like letting you have elective surgeries? No, supposedly they're going to slowly now. I was just at a meeting this morning. So supposedly they're going to start, you know, but everything is constantly evolving and constantly changing. But hopefully the plan is to slowly start reintroducing and reallowing a lot of these surgeries to be done. That's good. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't really know what's going on in LA hospitals unless you tell me, but it seems like we're not in the news for like an overflow of patients. And uh, we're not like one of the red states on the map where the COVID's the worst and it's in red. Right, exactly. I, I think we're doing okay. And, and hopefully the rest, the rest of the world will start doing okay soon too. So I, I, my fear is because of this 
you know, to some degree, there's a back going to be a backlog now. So my fear is not really a fear, but it's going to get pretty busy, pretty crazy jam packing in surgeries and office. And it's going to, I'm going to get, you know, I, I shouldn't be too sad right now that my operating schedule is a little slow. I should try to enjoy it and get other work done and knock out some of my charts. And, and, and so there's always a silver lining. Yes. That is funny that you say that. I'm, I've been trying to find that in everything. I've been trying to, trying to be like Bradley Cooper. Like if I lose my temper a little bit, just immediately try to find that silver lining, like he says in the silver linings playbook. Yeah. Didn't we just talk about the movie? Yeah, we did. Um, oh, you know why? Because part of it is I had watched the ending on an airplane on my way back from oh, Africa. Was the ending of Silver Linings Playbook? The dance part? The dance scene to the end. So great. It is so great. The psychiatrist. Right. He was in a show that we watched. Right. That's right. Exactly. The guy who played the therapist was. Oh, in New Amsterdam. That's a show that we watched. Right. Yeah, he's great. He's great. He's a fun, great yeah. actor to watch. Yeah, that's why we were talking about it. Yeah. All right. So what's going on today? What are we doing? Well, today, as promised, we said that we were going to watch and give our thoughts on the new series, Dr. Death. That's on NBC Peacock, starring Alec Baldwin, Christian Slater, and Joshua Jackson. And I watched the pilot. I don't know how many episodes you watch. I only watched the pilot and maybe the first quarter of the next episode. So we'll, we'll just dive into the pilot. We'll just dive into the pilot. But before we talk about the pilot, it originated with a podcast, didn't it? It did. A podcast that I listened to, yeah, it's called Dr. Death. And um, that's season one of Dr. Death is uh, what this scripted series is on. They actually have three seasons of Dr. Death. Podcast? Yeah, so they're all about different doctors. Oh, oh, got it, got it. Um, wasn't that like the first big hit of a podcast, pretty much, Dr. Death. I think it was an early, early, no, am I wrong? I don't no, know. No, I think you're right. I think it's it's one of the first podcasts where I feel like everyone I've talked to watched it, you know, like a hit show right. or listened to it. Yeah, it was one of the first mega hit podcasts, I think. And just an interesting note, I think the company that bought or owns or distributed that podcast is called Wondery. Yeah, it's on Wondery. Right. And so just to, to make an interesting thing about Wondery is that one of the surgeons, I think we may have talked about this, one of the surgeons who I know fairly well, who actually even used to work with our group for a little bit, he was married to the guy who founded Wondery. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, uh, I remember when he first went off, he was, he was a guy at ABC. And I remember talking to him when he left ABC to go off and start this podcast company. And it sounded like a crazy idea and a crazy venture. It wasn't that long ago, uh, but it recently sold, I think, to Amazon for a few zillion dollars. So clearly the guy's a genius and I yeah, want to be. I'm, I, yeah, I mean, I'm jealous right away. Yeah, totally jealous. But it's it's just really pretty cool. Yeah, no, yeah. Dr. Death was definitely well done. So that's the first season. And they're all about real doctors, surgeons, and like uh, what they do wrong. But we had talked a little bit about the second season of the podcast because um, it was about an oncologist who was 
telling people they needed chemotherapy that didn't we had talked about that in like a previous podcast a long time ago so that was like season two right and that guy's in jail too but we'll focus on season one and you listen to all you listen to all three seasons of dr death no so i just found out that there's the season three has just come out it came out like two weeks ago and it apparently follows like a an italian doctor that i think was like faking research and did some bad transplant things. I don't know. I haven't listened to it yet. Which, which season of the two that you listened to did you like better? I like the first one, the one that we're okay. going to talk about, but they made a scripted series. Got it. I mean, so they're both disturbing. Yeah, yeah. So, and they're both based on true stories. Mm-hmm. Is How much is the podcast fictionalized or is it totally real, the podcast? I mean, unless people are, I mean, obviously people could be lying that they're interviewing. But I think it's pretty truthful because the the guy that it follows, Dr. Dunst, that they call Dr. Death um, in the podcast, um, is in jail. for. <laughs> so I think it's right. pretty truthful what he did to these people. Right. But at, at the start of the at the start of the TV series, it says there's a disclaimer saying while it's based on true, there's they, they fictionalize some of it. Right. Yeah, I think that. I think they do that for most anything that turns into a scripted, you know, true story. Like Aaron Sorkin does it with everything. Like, you know, anything he does about Mark Zuckerberg or Steve Jobs, I can tell the scenes where he's like real heavy with the faking it part. Got it. Got it. And are you able to, based on the, like, does anything totally deviate from, from the. I can't tell so far. No. Okay. That's, that's my curiosity is how much. And there are these two real other, so, so the, the, right. the so series. So Dr. Kirby is played by Christian Slater. He doesn't trust this guy Dunst and doesn't know why he's hired at his hospital. And another doctor played by Alec Baldwin. But yes, they're based on real doctors. So those are two real guys mm-hmm. and they're interviewed on the podcast? I believe both of them are on the podcast, yes. Okay, okay. And... So what do you, what do you think of the what do you think of the uh, of the pilot? I think it's interesting. I think Joshua Jackson is um, killing it. I think he's doing a very good job. I'll I'll tell you. I mean, just off the bat, watching the pilot, it, it kind of seemed like I would have loved to. I for me, I would have preferred to kind of. I mean, you clearly know what what the story is about, but I would have liked to have seen it more chronological. I, I would have liked to have seen him early on right at the beginning doing what he's doing and learning and residency and and becoming who he was i i, I would have liked to have seen that a little bit uh and then yeah. and then get introduced to alec baldwin and then get introduced to christian slater i understand those two guys are such big draws and such big actors so they kind of started with them but i i don't know if i just in terms of a, watching a show, they're the draw, but I, I don't know if I would have introduced them until later on. That, that was what kind of was weird for me. Yeah, that's something a lot, of, a lot of shows like to do, and I feel like they're, they do it too much these days, is flashbacks. My brother and I talked about that, like how we would just prefer to like have a more linear story. Like right. instead of just being like, okay, we're in this scene, now we're going back to Tuesday and we're like, well, I don't know when Tuesday was like, what does that doesn't mean anything to me? Right. They did a lot of that Tuesday, Wednesday, like to me that, 
and I don't mind flash forwards and flashbacks, but but in fact, I, I think it could be cool. Like they did a lot of that in Sopranos, not a lot of it. They did some of it in The Sopranos mm. a little bit. Uh, but for, for me, that's, it kind of didn't make me as interested a little bit. Yeah, but I want, yeah. But I would say I'd have to see it as a, like a full series to see if it works or not, you know? Right, exactly, exactly. I think Josh Jackson is great. Yeah, I think he's doing good playing like, he's the egotistical surgeon, neurosurgeon um, right. that gets mad at the nurses in the room and- uh, Yeah, a few parts that are weird is just that he doesn't have, although clearly there, there are places where a neurosurgeon will be operating alone without anybody, but I would, and maybe he did, maybe he never had anybody. It, that really interested me that, that, and it must be real that he was alone operating. There wasn't either at the very least a physician assistant or his own nurse that always operated with him, certainly a partner. That, that was amazing, but maybe at certain places that it must be that that's how things were. I'm curious how, how real that was. And it, it's just amazing though, that after one of those operations that that guy would still be operating. I, I kind of, it blows my mind that no one, it, I can't believe it. Yeah. Well, so that's what the podcast really went into. And so he would just switch hospitals. Like one patient remember in the pilot episode was like, why are you doing surgery at this hospital now? And he said he let his priority uh, lapse, which I don't even know if that's a real thing. Like, can you just like let your hospital privileges privileges lapse? Yeah. Yeah, you can, you can let your privileges lapse, but uh, you have to every two years you renew your privileges where you have to submit a ton of paperwork and and pay a, a fee to be on staff at a hospital. It's not a believable thing if that's your main place. You know, you really wouldn't, you know, if you're a main guy at a main place, you you, you wouldn't do that. And the right. hospital wouldn't wouldn't let you do that. They they would be on top of you. If you were a valuable person, your hospital would be, would be Hey, get your privileges done. Let me help you get your privileges, you know, in. Let me help you get your paperwork. If you're a big guy in a main draw, and neurosurgeons are big money draws and big main guys. Yeah, which he mentions to the chief executive when um, she's just asking him a basic question. Um, but that was something I was going to ask you. He switches hospitals to like that's how he ends up maiming like 31 patients because instead of like them like doing reporting on him. He just goes to a different hospital and they're just like, okay, what? They're just like kind of sweep everything under the rug. So it's a big mess. Yeah. Have you ever seen that? Like doctors just like, or surgeons just being really bad at their job and just switching to another hospital? I've never seen that. I've never seen a hospital allow that to happen. I've seen, you know, it's one thing that's crazy is, and to some degree, it's so hard to get into residency and surgery especially neurosurgery, it's such a hard process. And, and each year of training, your residency is such a hard, grueling year. And there's so much time and money and thought into choosing those, those residents. And there's so much teaching hours that goes into those residents that it is kind of hard. It's easier now, but it used to be kind of hard to, to get rid of. Now, I'm going to back up. At one point, it was easy to get rid of someone. Back, back in the olden days, if, if they didn't like you for whatever reason, they could just can you. You know, if you didn't meet the criteria in the olden days. In the newer days, there's so much scrutiny, 
So also, it'd be hard to get by. But there was kind of, I guess, when that happened, like in these middle, you know, right at the tail end of, of the olden days and the beginning of these modern times, where, and I saw it happen with, with a doctor where I was doing my residency, he had already made it, this doctor already made it pretty far along their training. And it became obvious that this person shouldn't be doing what they were doing. And, but the crazy thing is it was already right at the tail end of med school, residency, fellowship, like so many years were put in and it started becoming apparent. It wasn't that the person was a killer and it wasn't that, but the person just, it just wasn't right. And I, and I think, I don't know how it ended because I left before that person finished, but I know that person wound up going into a different type of field that was better suited to that person. And I'm curious as to, was it the administration that finally said to this person, hey, you got to do something else? Or the person was really smart and at the end of the day was a decent person. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if that person kind of realized, hey, I got to do something else. But it was shocking still that that doctor was able to make it that far down because there's so many different criteria and you only do a rotation for X amount of time. And as long as you kind of check off boxes, you could keep going by. And, and you know, you actually made me think of we after I finished my fellowship in cancer surgery, I got very involved in being one of the fellowship teachers. And, and I wasn't the director of the fellowship, but I was very actively involved in recruiting the next fellows and teaching the next fellows. And after me, we had two amazing fellows. But so a few years past that, we wound up hiring a fellow who also turned out to not be so good and be a little lazy, also not a killer, but just not, not so good. And that happened actually two years in a row. So stuff like that could happen. But in terms of a killer, it, it shocks me that, that a program, that someone could, could make it that far and be a killer. I, I, I haven't seen that. Right. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think there's like two deaths associated to them, but it's mainly like the, the paralyzing of people. Right. Well, that's what I mean, too. I, I, I don't mean a blatant killer. I mean someone who, who has complications. Right. Because I, those get really scrutinized well, at least these days, uh, and especially how they depicted it in the operating room. If Maybe they just exaggerated it for dramatic sake. But just watching the operating room scenes of two surgeries that he did. It was hard to watch. In the show, one of those should alert everybody saying this guy doesn't need, can't be in here. He, they made him look totally incompetent. And the fact that I'm hoping and thinking it was just dramatic because if he was really that incompetent in the OR, then a lot of people were negligent in allowing him to, to get past that to get that far well the podcast talks about that too and I think that's what they're trying to show in the show with like how it's like hard to speak up because he is such like the neurosurgeon I guess is the star and that kind of wasn't at least at the hospitals he worked and wasn't like the thing to speak up you know like you're you're the head doctor you, you must know what you're doing you keep telling me you know what you're doing even though I know that you're messing up yeah so no, people were scared to speak up and then people 
people being interviewed did feel bad. The doctor played by Alec Baldwin, I think that's why he's so like mystified like you. He thinks he must be faking being a doctor, like catch me, you know, like Leonardo DiCaprio and catch me if you can. Yeah. So he, like, he calls them, he's like, is this, we're gonna send you a picture of this person. Is he actually the person that like went to your school, like graduated, like did the fellowship? And they're like, yeah, that's him. Yeah, exactly. No, that that was a, that was a cool scene saying that. Yeah. I, that's I'm what they that. look into. In the podcast, yeah. they look into it. They're like, you know, he really went to school. He really did so many hours. Like you're saying, if you do so many hours, how could you be this bad at surgery? Well, you can be that bad, but but most likely along the way, I don't I don't know. You would pivot or 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 just like he should have just become a researcher, you know, as opposed to which is something he was good at, as opposed to being a clinical guy. And that I mean, that's what's interesting. That's what makes the show so so interesting and compelling is is how that guy slipped through the cracks and slipped through the system. Right. And that's why the podcast is such a hit, because it's almost like yeah, like the serial killer podcast are hits. It's like, how can this be? How can this happen? Like, what's going to happen next? It's that kind of element. And it's not the podcast job, but I, since doing this podcast, have a problem with like how at the end they're not like, this is not how most surgeons are, you know, because you guys work so hard. And then I just think it makes everyone like question surgeons a little bit more when shows like that are so popular. Yeah, no, it's true. One of the things I pride myself in is is being someone who, if I feel at all, even the slightest bit over my head, or, or not even over my head, if I feel like, hey, this is a two-person job as opposed to a one-person job, I'm always going to make sure I have help. And, and it's something I try to teach and try to remember to have in, in medicine. And it's, 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 unfortunately, it's not a surgeon's mentality to have help. Unfortunately, it's a surgeon's mentality at least in the olden days, to kind of be a, a lone wolf, to kind of be a cowboy, you know, or some of the stereotypes, but certainly to think, hey, I'm great, I could do this. And, and one of the things I try to instill in residents and students and in my partners even is, and it's one of the foundations of our practice is to always have two of us there in the room for so many reasons, you know, other than the fact that if you need help, rather than having to flounder or call someone, someone's right there across from you. Plus it makes it so much more fun. It makes it so much more efficient. It's so much more interesting to get two people's thoughts. Uh, so. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'd want. I, it seems like, yeah, most all of those patients could have been saved if they did wait, you know, like if he had another a surgeon present. Yeah. And unfortunately part of it is financial, you know, these days with reimbursements, it's not necessarily in a, surgeon's interest to assist on a surgery. The, uh, the assist fee just doesn't pay that much. In fact, it pays sometimes nothing and you're there for hours possibly helping someone in the operating room and you may not get paid, you know, and you could potentially be doing a lot of other stuff or being home or being with your family and rather than helping someone in the operating room for zero dollars for a lot of stress and, and malpractice issues and all of that. But I, I really, so unfortunately, doctors themselves have kind of shot themselves in the foot by kind of saying, hey, I could do this alone. I don't necessarily need an assistant. And then insurance companies saying, well, if you've done it alone, we don't need to pay an assistant. Mm. And, and it's, it's, it's this unfortunate thing that 
I, in the olden days, there were assistant surgeons could actually make a living being an assistant. But these days- You should definitely make a living doing that. That's a hard job. Yeah, these days you really can't. You know, Maybe if you're lucky, but you really can't make a living assisting in the operating room. So one of the things when I started our group, having kind of been alone in a practice for several years, being with people who were, quote, my partners, but I always found myself alone in the operating room, I realized that's not the way to do it. And one of, one of our policies in our practice, be learning from, unfortunately, my own hardships, luckily, I never killed anybody, but learning through my own hardships were, I said, it's going to be a policy that if we're doing a surgery, there are always going to be two of us in the room. Whether or not it's financially worthwhile, there's always going to be two, two fully trained surgeons operating on patients. And, and it's really made the difference for so, for so many reasons. And it's helped us as a group and it's helped us as surgeons. And, and I think it makes us better surgeons and better doctors. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think that's hopefully people will listen to our podcast too and hear that other side of it. Not all surgeons are monsters. Not all surgeons are monsters, no. And just um, after your money. What's that? Just after your money. Like, obviously, Dr. Dunst, played by Joshua Jackson, is, yeah, money hungry. Is, is that the drive? Was it money? I think he, I, I don't know if he's a true sociopath. Like, I, I think it's money. I think he, it's, you know, he just wants all the attention. He wants all the glory, but he's doing horrible things. So he In doesn't accept it. Yeah, in I don't know if it's from the second episode already or the first where he has his dad come. Was that the first or the second? Yeah, that's in the pilot. Oh, that's in the pilot. So, yeah, he kind of says it. It I, I think it's more about like proving to himself, and and it, it didn't seem like it was money. It seemed like he needs has this crazy desire to be alpha, to be number one, to be the best. Yeah, the, that's true. That the like podcast that, talks about alpha, the alpha yeah. personality a lot. And I, and I. I didn't get a sense, at least from the from the pilot or the beginning of the second episode, it, it didn't seem like it was driven by money. It seemed like it was it was just an ego thing. Uh, yeah. um, but clearly he had major psych. He was a psychopath or a sociopath, rather. Yeah, I feel like you should finish it. It's not that long. I don't no. know. I know you don't have a lot of time. But what how does it? it compare to the to the to the podcast? How would you compare it? I guess I'd have to watch the whole series to compare it but the podcast was really good and it's you know it's about people just <laughs> being paralyzed they're like nerves being cut wrong and like oh it's hard to listen to so it's kind of hard to think that i could rewatch the whole thing again right. but it's obviously good actors so i probably will i mean alec baldwin is great he plays he did you ever see the movie malice yes that's a good movie where he plays a surgeon mm-hmm with Nicole Kidman, I forget who else is in it. And there's a classic, amazing scene where there's some, they're, they're in court and he's the expert witness, or he's, I don't know, no, he's being cross-examined. He's, and do you remember the scene where the, they're talking about God complexes and he goes, you think I have a God complex? I don't have a God complex. I am God. <laughs> that's a great scene all right i have a few questions for you as a doctor that um i saw on the pilot okay so i don't remember this from the podcast this stuff that might just be adding may, might not be 
but um, the nurse, what do you call it? The surgical nurse? He's the operating room nurse, the OR nurse or the circulating nurse. Okay. So the circulating nurse, he noticed that um, Dr. Dunst had holes in his scrub. And yeah. He didn't say anything. What, if you had a hole in your scrub and like you found out the nurse didn't say anything, would you have them fired? Like, what would you do? No, not at all. If I had a hole in my scrubs, they probably, at least where I work and my relationship with the nurses, they'd probably make fun of me and make a joke and be like, Dr. Cohen, what's wrong with you? Why do you have a hole in your scrub? You know, they probably, you know, but give it me wouldn't crap be a big deal if you performed a surgery with a hole in your scrubs? It wouldn't be a big deal. Okay. I don't think so. I think what the big deal was, he then wore those scrubs again. Like oh, that day. is what they were showing. I didn't get next that. Next day, he was in those scrubs again with a hole. So like, okay, like, is he a dirt? Is he dirty? I mean, why is he? You know, does he not care? Oh, I, I thought it was, was just like a big no to like have a hole in your scrubs and nobody say anything. I thought that's I what a combination. To like, like what's up with this guy having you know this top of the echelon guy with a hole in the scrub? But then he wore him again. He yeah, you're right. Him. I was. I didn't realize that. You're right. That's yeah. what they were trying to show that I he was so. dirty. Yeah. Okay. That makes more sense. And my other question was the chief executive comes up to him because she finds out that his surgery went four hours, which I guess was long for whatever surgery he was supposed to do. Um, and she wants to know why, what's the problem. And he gets really mad. Do, do you ever have people like if you go over surgery, does like a chief executive ask you why? Like, is that actual something that would happen? Not so much. Yes and no. I, I mean, we certainly have, especially at a hospital where I am, there's a lot of big brother watching over you. You know, it's a big, you know, at any big major institution, but that one isn't such a big institution. But at any major big institution, there are unfortunately or fortunately a lot of people keeping an eye on stuff and looking out at stuff. So if something kind of goes out, out of the ordinary, maybe not the first time, but if it's way out of the ordinary, yeah, you may get a phone call from, I don't know if it's the head of the hospital, but maybe the chief of surgery might give you a call and say, hey, you know, or, or, or someone in your own department might kind of say, hey, I heard you had this surgery. Why did everything okay? Why did it take so long? You may get a call like that. Okay. I just didn't know if like people were actually like timing you. I mean, I know obviously there's different surgeries booked during the day. Yeah. No, the interesting thing is when we schedule surgeries, they keep an eye on when we do surgeries, there's a in time, they actually record what time we go in the room, what time the patient goes to sleep, what time we do what's called the timeout, uh, which I don't know, do you know what a timeout is? So it, it, we, we kind of learned it from the airline industry, we kind of do a checklist before actually starting surgery. And in the beginning, I hated it. But now I think as I hated it because I felt like an ego thing, I, I have to admit. But but there's a lot of value to the timeout. It's kind of like running a checklist with the whole team before you cut the patient. So you kind of go over, it's a timeout before you start. You know, everything's ready. You're right about to start and you do this timeout. You're making sure it's the right patient, the right surgery. There are no allergies. You've given any special medicines, you know, medicines, medications. Um, so that's what the timeout is for, to go over any issues you discuss with the anesthesia team, with the nursing team, kind of a sense of what's going to be happening. And, and I think there's a lot of value to the timeout. Uh, I, I actually think even more of the timeout needs to be done. I, I think 
they kind of just use the timeout as a formality, but I think it really helps in the timeout to add certain things to it. Like, I think the surgery is going to be this long, everybody. And I think we're going to be doing this during the surgery. So be ready. I, I think it's really helpful to kind of go over all the minutia and, and it's not used. I, I try to really, I kind of make it fun for the whole team, but, but to kind of really take advantage of it. Uh, so where was I going with that, Lauren? I have no, <laughs> no, I was just asking about like the time. Oh, oh, so, so we do a timeout and then there's the actual, they record the incision time, what time we cut and then what time we're closed and then what time we're out of the room. Okay. And they do that for all sorts of reasons, but uh, the goal is efficiency, but also to be able to say, okay, Dr. Coe, because they're scheduling all these surgeries at this hospital trying to get everybody's cases booked on Monday and they have to know, oh, I'm booking a thyroid surgery. Oh yeah, Cohen takes two hours to do that surgery. We know we could do the next surgery afterwards and have and put a three hour surgery in. So, so there really is a component of, they keep an eye on the times for us and they even like have, oh, okay, you take an hour and 12 minutes to do this surgery. And if I'm booking a surgery and I'm like, no, it's only a half hour. They're going to be like, wait a minute, Cohen. We know it's a thyroid and you, we're not giving you that time. We're, we're only giving you, you know, or we're going to give you extra time. You got to find somewhere else to do it. We're not going to let you sneak it in to this thing. So there's some, va there's some value to it. So they do record times a little bit. And, and certainly if something ran over by a lot, you may get a phone call saying, what happened? Why, why did it take so long? Okay. And then my other question is like, so the, the chief, I guess she's just, it says she's a chief executive in that show. I don't know if that's, so that's why I'm calling you the chief executive, but um, she's asked by the doctor played by Alec Baldwin, like, you know, like, what do you know about this guy? And I guess she didn't really, she can't, can she not see the outcome of all of his other patients, like other patients that he maimed? Like, does that violate HIPAA? Like she can just see that he's like finished, you know, like, his medical degree and like worked here and there, but he can't, she can't actually see as like a chief, you can't see his patient records. I'm not sure about the patient record itself, but you do have to submit whether or not you've had any lawsuits. Did he never have any lawsuits? I, I guess not up to that point or wow. maybe he was about to have one. Yeah. So, so he would be clean then she wouldn't right. know. But you also have to find out if you ever lost your privileges at any hospital, like the, at, at least at the hospital where I am, it is a very long drawn out process about getting privileges, unless, you know, they do make exceptions, you know, if they need, if they think they're getting a superstar, not exceptions, but they might potentially fast track someone at, at certain places, you know, someone, someone who they're actively recruiting, you know, they, they may help it along a little bit but but so they can look at like lawsuits obviously or like lawsuits for sure like hospital terminations for sure La loss of privileges anywhere definitely but they couldn't see your patient records because that's I don't know but one thing that has to happen at many hospitals is before they let you start operating solely they do something called it's you have to get proctored so which is good and bad, but, but it clearly, at least it didn't seem like he needed to get proctored. So you need to have another surgeon kind of be in the room and sign off on your surgeries. 
And sometimes it's a formality, like if it's someone you know and you're going somewhere and you already know they're a great surgeon, you'll show up, you'll watch what they do for a little bit and you'll be like, yeah, he's cool. But you definitely, at least at all the hospitals where I am, in fact, one of my partners, it's just taking so long because they're so strict about the proctoring process for so many different cases. You have to get another surgeon who does what you do to kind of sign off on three to five surgeries. So that surprises me too, is that he didn't need to get proctored. Well, those. I'm wondering, because they didn't mention like there's different malpractice uh, laws in Texas. So I think that might be why people weren't able to sue, like they passed some kind of law. So I'm wondering if LA or not LA, just like California in general has different rules for their doctors and like proctoring, because that wasn't mentioned as far as possible. I remember. Yeah, it's possible, but, but it, it definitely before. And even like if I'm a surgeon at a hospital for years, if I'm doing like a new procedure, then I even have to apply to get privileges to do a new thing. And I have to get show that I'm trained in it and have someone proctor me on a new thing that I haven't done. So like when I started doing robotic surgery, I had to get, pro someone had to watch me come in and watch me do those surgeries in the beginning at each place that I did it. I did it at one hospital, I had to get proctored there. Then I did it in another hospital. At that hospital, I had to get proctored again. And so I don't know if it's a California or LA thing that it's really, really strict and tough. Maybe, maybe it's because of doctor death and stuff like that, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, that makes me feel better as someone who hopefully doesn't have to have surgery one day, but might, you know. One of the things we joke around or talk about is the, the thing that makes someone an expert, a real expert, is that they've seen and dealt with and experienced and learned about all of the mistakes and all of the things that go, could go wrong, and they know how to prevent it. And if, God forbid, those accidents and mistakes happen, more importantly, they know how to deal with it and fix it. And, and that's kind of what makes someone an expert. Yeah. Yeah. Parts of it were like hokey and, and, and dramatic the way he did it. But, I, but we do kind of do that, the timeout. The one interesting thing I noted was at one point in time, I forget, someone held up an x-ray. I think it was Alec Baldwin. I don't totally remember. And what was odd was there was a marker that said, I, I even went back and looked at it, that said, right, R, and, but yet it was on the left side. <laughs> and it, it's, I, I went back and I double checked it, but I, I feel like I have to look again, but I, and really zoom in on it. But it, something was weird about that. And, and that's, that's why we're doing this they show. They needed a surgical consultant on the show. And they I'm got sure they did. They always get the x-rays wrong. Yeah. They and often I never noticed. Yeah, well, the right was the right orientation. So that was kind of weird for me. Yeah. Okay. Well, I will start um, listening to season three of the podcast. I'm sure I don't know if they're going to make each season a scripted show. I'd be kind of surprised that they didn't at this point. Yeah. Well, Alec Baldwin and, and Christian Slater are such big draws and big stars. So it'd be a surprise if if they didn't keep going with it. Yeah. So I guess are you going to keep watching? I want to, but at the, you know, the reality, unfortunately, is there's only so many, so many hours in the day to watch shows. So there are a lot of other, Pick you and know, choose. Pick and choose. Yeah. yeah, exactly. exactly. All right. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us at Gross Anatomy, everybody. Thanks for joining us. 
That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine. Gross Anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.